Romans uh, the 13th chapter, excuse me, 14th chapter, verse 6. That's where we're starting. That's where we ended last week. Now I'm sure that it's understood, but let me state it again. I am not uh, inspired. The inspired ones have already recorded their message in black and white, called the Bible, and I'm merely trying to teach it, and I can be wrong, and that's for you to decide. Uh, <coughs> because religion is a thing to be reasoned out from the scriptures. Uh, I've been wrong in the past, probably will be in the future. But that's a decision that you have to make as a hearer. But realizing that there's nothing about me that's inspired. And the inspired men were chosen men. John 15, verse 16. The Lord told those men, you didn't choose me, I chose you. And uh, then he told them that he chose them for that purpose, to receive the Spirit miraculously, to guide him into all the truth. He dispatched them to go into all the world to preach the gospel to every creature. They did. They established the word throughout the world. And uh, God was confirming them with signs and miracles and uh, different things. Hebrews 2 verse 4 says, God also bearing them witness. And I'm not one of those and neither are you. We are children of God who are trying to follow what we believe to be the truth. Now, <clears throat> Paul's already taught these people in the earlier chapters of Romans in his letter when he sent to them. That's who he's writing to here. He's already explained justification is in Christ. It's not in law keeping or observance of days and months and all that stuff. So as he closes out the letter, he gives a safeguard against weaker brothers. Receive them. Don't judge them. So <clears throat> there's a three-point outline here in the letter uh, of Paul's letter that may help you in your study of the book. It's very clear that the chapter 14 uh, deals with not judging others. I don't have that right. Uh, we're to receive the weaker brother, verse 1. We're to receive him. He's weak uh, in that he don't understand all things, and he's probably participating in things that's not good for him, not, that's not right. But receive this brother. Because what's the reception based on? Why do you receive a brother? Because he become a brother born into the family of God in that baptistry. Does he know anything? He knows goo-goo and gaga, and that's about it. You receive this brother. You don't condemn him and, and turn him away. He's got a bunch of false ideas that need to be corrected. And the point Paul's making is, don't judge that, don't judge others. Receive that weaker brother. And why? Because God has received him, didn't he? Didn't God receive him in the baptistry? So he's a child of God, and God help you driving his children away. Didn't Jesus say something about uh, someone offending these little ones? It'd be better if a millstone was cast about his neck and he was cast into the depths of the sea? Yeah. And so receive this weaker brother because God has received him. Uh, verse 3. And he also, in verse 4, makes it clear that God is able to make him stand. He's brought you this far, hasn't he, in your faith? Hasn't God moved you this far in your faith? So the strength of your faith, the altitude of your faith, don't look down and judge a brother that just that God uh, has received uh, because God is able to make him stand. How can, why, how can God do that? Well, 1 John 1, 7. If he's a child of God, then he, <coughs> he hungers and thirsts after righteousness, then he's come to learn 
the fact of 1 John 1, 7. If you walk in the light and see in light, you have fellowship with God. So he's striving to understand. He's striving to learn. He's striving to grow. Don't destroy that brother over some stupid thing as a holiday or a special day or some event that he practices that it doesn't matter one way or another. Don't destroy that brother. Don't judge him. <coughs> and then he talks about, in verse 5, special days. <coughs> special days. And then he makes a statement that everyone must decide for himself. So you decide for yourself, I'll decide for myself. Because there's some things that the Word of God doesn't, doesn't deal with. Have you ever read about Christmas in, in, in the Bible? Have you ever read about the, uh, Easter in the Bible? I mean the way it's practiced. The system is set up among men. And so these are matters that uh, God can accept you if you have the wrong concept about these things. Because he will eventually lead you out of them things. He'll lead you to a maturity. And so be careful about judging one another. Now, <clears throat> I brought up Christmas last week. and I, I've apologized all over myself. Uh, I may be right, I may be wrong. But that's for you to judge. That's for you to decide. And uh, if you want to discuss it with me further, I'll be glad to try. But religion is a reasoning thing in a lot of matters. I mean, there is that which God has stated. Build it according to the pattern that I gave you. And that's true. But there is some other areas of life that's not covered with Scripture that are to be reasoned out based on Scripture. That's why God addressed Israel in Isaiah 1 18. 1 18 Isaiah. And he said, Come to that nation. He said, Come and let us reason together. Reasoning is a response between two parties, two people. So I'd be glad to reason with anyone and not get mad at you if you don't agree with me, because I'm not inspired, okay? So, <laughs> I'm just one of the fools of Christ that thinks that I know something uh, that I try to teach, but I can be wrong. All right, we got that out of the way. Verse, uh, all right, and he goes on in verse 6 to discuss the right standpoint or viewpoint of the total situation here. In verse 6 he says, he that regardeth the day regardeth it unto the Lord. Now, let me stop right there for a minute. I don't know how other people regard Christmas. Uh, I don't know of anybody that worships the day. Do you? It's just a, a day of celebration. And because of the songs that sang and things, it appears to me, and it always has in my lifetime, that it's a celebration of the Lord Jesus Christ. As the song says, Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. And uh, I'm not trying to convince you one way or another about Christmas. And like I said, I've repented if even bringing it up for, for an example. But here, he that regarded the day that's Verse 6 says, Regarded it unto the Lord. So regardless of what the day is or what purpose that day has, the man of God is one who regards it unto the Lord. Uh, and he understands that that day of observance that he observes is not unto justification because Paul has already explained that by the time he gets to chapter 14, he's already explained that, particularly in chapter 3. Justification is by the blood of Christ. And so his audience understands that they don't do those things, observe those days for justification. Now, you remember there was another example I used that's probably more proper. Here you got the, the beginning of the Church of Christ. 
Jesus proposed to build it in Matthew 16, 18. He said, upon this rock I will build my church. All right. <clears throat> Here's people flowing into it. The first, the first sermon preached brought in 3,000 souls on the day of Pentecost. It's going to be very easy for those Jews to observe the Sabbath. Not for justification, because they see their justifications in Christ, not in Jewish system of law. But still, they've had a whole lifetime of attending the synagogue. Is there anything wrong with that man? The weaker brother attends the synagogue as well as worshiping the Lord on Sunday? Not a thing. Not a thing. Will the Lord uh, receive him? He has. When he was baptized, he received him as a son. Will he lead him? Yeah. He walks with God, and God is able to make him stand and will lead him out of the things that he shouldn't be practicing. But is there anything wrong in honoring God uh, by going to the Sabbath? Because that's what it was all about, was honoring God. So he honors God because of the justification in Christ on Sunday. But on Saturday, he goes to the Sabbath. Anything wrong with that? And so that's what Paul's talking about here. Uh, special days. And everyone must decide for themselves. But God's able to make you stand even if you're wrong. Uh, he made us able to stand, didn't He? And the more altitude we get, sometimes the more judgmental we get. <laughs> and well, if that judgmental if that judgment isn't coming through the ways and means of love, then what does it do? It destroys. It drives people away. And God help us if we ever get to that point of driving people away because of some uh, wrong idea that they might have. Maybe it's not wrong, but you don't have a right to judge that. Let's suppose it is wrong. You know, as me being what they call a preacher, I meet people who have some strange ideas. Uh, not any of you, but <laughs> you understand. <laughs> uh, but I meet these people and they tell me their ideas. And the very first thing that comes to my mind is this passage. Don't judge a brother. If he's leaning toward Christ and the doctrine is presented in God's Word, then I'm going to give him time and space to move out of his ignorance into maturity without condemning him. I'm not going to jump right on him and begin to pound him into the ground with Scripture. I'm not going to do that because I love him. And he's in ignorance, yes. But I'm not going to say a word. I'm just going to smile and enjoy the company with him. And knowing that there'll be, that God is able through time and the scriptures to make him stand. And like we saw in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 8 and 9, Paul told the Corinthians, God is able to, uh, how's it stated? God is able to deliver you to the day of Christ. Or see you through to the day of Christ. That's what it said. Because he's working behind the curtain on the stage of life. And he won't allow you to be tempted above that you're able to bear. And there's many other things that he does for you that maybe you don't even know about. And never will know about. <clears throat> so, he that regard, verse 6. He that regardeth the day regardeth it unto the Lord. And he that eateth, eateth unto the Lord. Uh, for he giveth God thanks. And he that eateth not unto the Lord, he eateth not. And giveth God thanks. Okay, there's two fellows here. One is the stronger fellow, and one is the weaker brother. One eats the meat offered to idols, and he thanks God for the meat he's eating. Oh, yeah, but it was offered to idols. Because what does God's word say about meat? Paul said that meat's for the belly and belly's for the meat. 
So is the man sin because he eats meat offered to idols? No. Well, what about if your brother is in his ignorance, in his immaturity, what if he sees you eating that meat? And he thinks it's wrong. Well, you stand a good chance of destroying a brother for your eating meat. And that's why uh, the conclusion to it is that you will abstain from meat while he's around. I can see Paul not eating any meat because the only meat you're going to buy is in the village is meat to spend over to idols. The priests got it after the sacrificial day, and now they're selling it uh, because they had nothing invested and it's cheap. And so you, I can see Paul as he left town, he probably went to Safeway or someplace like that, and snagged a piece of meat that was offered to idols, looked around and no, nobody saw him. He pays for it and gets out of town and eats it. All right. But he eats it under the Lord. <clears throat> so one eats meat offered to idols and thanks God uh, for the meat he's eating. The other doesn't eat meat uh, sacrificed to idols and thanks God for the herbs that he eats. What is the pronunciation of that word, herb? Uh, that's vegetables and things, isn't it? How's it pronounced? Herbs or herbs? Herbs. Herbs. So both of them are giving God thanks for their ability to do what they in their mind have decided is right. <laughs> now there's only one way to determine what's lawful. And how's that? By the scriptures. But there's areas of decision that must be made in things that scriptures don't uh, speak of uh, specifically. It speaks of them principally. And here's the idea. If you're doing something that's unlawful, you're practicing a holiday or something that is unlawful, and you don't know it yet, you don't think you're doing anything bad, Will God make you able to stand? Will He lead you out of that if you're walking with Him? 1 John 1, 7. If we walk with, in the light as He's in the light, there's where we have fellowship. Does He have fellowship with God? In walking with God? Yeah. In that walk, will God lead Him out? We've discussed the definition of walk. Walk speaks of a destination you're heading to and away from something else. And the word walk suggests that you're making progress because if you leave Benton City heading to Seattle walking uh, about the third day, <laughs> or anyway, after the hour or so, you've got pretty good distance away from Benton City. So there's a that bespeaks of your maturity. You've left Benton City. You've determined to walk that way. You've got a destination in, in mind. And that's a walk with God. You've determined and decided to walk with Him. And on that way, well, He will correct you and lead you and mature you. But He's able to make you stand. All right, so there's only one way to determine what's lawful, and that's by the Scriptures. We understand that. But now, do you determine what's right to do within the realm of the law? That's another question, isn't it? Is it always right to do what you have the right to do? Absolutely not. You have a right to forfeit your right for a brother. If it's going to hinder my brother, I'm not going to do it in his presence. I'm not going to invite him to dinner knowing that he believes it's wrong to eat meat, and then I'm going to present meat to him. I'm going to honor him so I'll have vegetables or or herbs, herbs. All right. <clears throat> well, we cover that in the next paragraph. The last right you have is the right to 
forego all the rights that you've got. I'll never forget, I was called on the carpet by the elders over at Richland, and uh, Ed Horton, a man that I have great regard for, a Bible teacher that's been around the world I don't know how many times, knows the scriptures backward and forwards. Uh, he was invited to go to this tribunal with me, and I'm the one being tried. <laughs> Uh, we're driving over in my old truck. At that time, it was old, and I got a new one now. But anyway, uh, he never did for a week. He never did ask me, knowing that I had this tribunal to go to. He never asked me what it's about, not once. And on the way over there, it's real quiet in the cab because I haven't told him what it's about. He didn't ask, and I didn't tell him. And all of a sudden he looked over at me in the darkness of the cab of that truck and he said, Merle, I don't know what this is about, but he said, I will defend your right to be wrong to the death. <laughs> now that's a loving brother. We have rights and we can forfeit that right for a brother. All right, <clears throat> then in verse 7 through 9, he talks about the fundamental reason behind all of this, and the gentle reproof he discusses in verse 10 through 12. Here's the reason for each man being fully settled in his own mind and not judging the other man, because that's his uh, admonition so far, isn't it? Be settled in your own mind about the right course of procedure, and don't judge the other man who uh, become fully settled in your mind of another course of procedure. Uh, so whether or not it's right to go to war in service to another country, that would be one of those things that you would be careful with, wouldn't it? You wouldn't judge a brother in that. Now the fundamental reason that you can do that is stated in verse 7. For none of us liveth unto himself and none dieth to himself. And that basically says no man is an island, doesn't it? We influence people. We're among people. I don't care if you're a hermit and you don't go to town, people knows about you out there in the woods. Yet you're not an island to yourself. And in the church, we are reciprocating one with another. We are influencing one with another. Uh, we have some uh, influence with somebody in the congregation, maybe a bunch of people. And so no man is an island under himself. Uh, does anybody have the right to say it's not my, uh, it's nobody's business what I do? Do we have that right? It's my business. Nobody has the right to tell me what to do. Not a single person in Jesus has a right to say that. Not if you're in the Lord. This text says nobody lives to himself or dies to himself. In other words, I'm involved with you and you're involved with me, whether we like it or not. I'm to learn to like you. I'm learned to, I, I am what I just say. <laughs> I didn't sound right somehow. <laughs> I'm to learn to like you. There you go. I'm to learn to like you. I'm to grow to like you. Maybe I don't like your choice of clothes. Maybe I don't like your looks. Maybe I've had some experiences with somebody that had characteristics like you and I didn't like him either and that started it. There's a lot of things that can come into play here. But I'm to learn to love you because of Jesus, because of the cross that saved me and I want you saved too and I'll do my best to help you even though I don't like the way you dress and a whole bunch of things about you but I love you because of the well anyway <laughs> you know sometimes I'm going to have to go back and sit down back there and see what is so funny <laughs> I don't seem to get these jokes and whatever it is it makes everybody laugh uh, 
So if we're involved with Jesus, this is very true. Uh, for the body is not one member, but many, the Bible teaches. We are each members of the body and severally one of another, Paul says. That's what he said in Romans 12 and in 1 Corinthians 12. We're not only members of Jesus, we're members of each other <coughs> because the church is the collectiveness of all of those members of, that's been called out of the world. Remember the definition of the word church? It comes from the Greek word ekklesia, and it means a called out group of people, that's you and me, for a particular purpose. Of course, that's just the generic definition of the word. In our particular case, Jesus is the caller. The gospel is how he called us. And so consequently, we're called out of this world of darkness into this world of light, as the Bible would describe it. And so we're children of God by our obedience and compliance and being born into his family by way of the baptistry, by faith's obedience in the baptistry. <clears throat> so we're not only members of Jesus, we're members of each other. Uh, and so it's not my right in Jesus to say, it's nobody's business but mine. No, no, no. As the text says, for none of us liveth unto himself, and none die unto himself. You're not an island. Verse 8. <clears throat> Verse 8, he says, For whether we live, we live unto the Lord. For whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. Verse 9, For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be the Lord both of the dead and the living. So he says simply, You are involved with Jesus. You are involved with each other. And so you cannot judge one another. Uh, just be fully assured in your own mind and don't judge one another. That's Paul's advice here. And then he gives a gentle reproof. It's not a strong rebuke, it's a gentle reproof. Because he says in verse 10, But thou, why dost thou judge thy brother? Or again, why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, to me every knee shall bow, and every tongue shall confess to God. Verse 12. So then each one of us shall give an account of himself to God. So why are you judging your brother? So he says there's several reasons why you need to quit judging each other. Number one. You need to quit judging each other because you need to be fully settled in your own mind. Number two, because you're involved with each other. And number three, <laughs> now don't tell anybody, but I had to look it up to see if I had two or three fingers up when I needed three. Well, I don't feel that good anymore. They're trying to work together. <laughs> Number three. Because you're going to stand before God. And, ha uh, and how you judge that brother, guess what? That's how God's going to judge you. Now somebody said, I'm sure it was the Lord. <laughs> Judge not that you be not judged. And with what judgment you judge, you shall be judged. That's scary. And with what measure you meet, it shall be measured unto you again. That's Matthew 7, verse 1 and following. 
and that was Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount. Now he's saying, judge righteous judgments, because you're going to have to make a judgment, even if it's a judgment not to, ju uh, uh, not to judge. And so you're going to make a judgment in a matter, but you're not going to judge the weaker brother for his opinion and for his scruples, uh, for his decisions that he makes in regard to a day or whatever. You're not going to judge him. Now, if he presses it to the point of division in the church, you've got yourself a brand new problem, don't you? It's called division. It's called faction. And a factuous man, whether he's being factuous with truth or error, either one, and you can uh, be factuous with truth, that's a fact. A factuous man, after the first and second admonition, Refuse. That's Paul's words to Timothy. After the first and second admonition, refuse that fellow. Because he's factuous. He's argumentative. Uh, he wants to uh, put your, uh, whatever it is, your argument down. What's your definition of heresy? As it's used in the New Testament, literally means a choosing or a preference of one doctrine or one part of the doctrine over another. And so the man is a heretic. He wants to make a factual statement of this thing that he believes in. If a fellow has a hobby that he writes, he's a heretic. In the New Testament meaning of the word heretic because of what will he do with that hobby? He'll divide the church. He'll become a factuous man. All right, beginning in verse 13 down through verse 23, as you see on the board, uh, Paul deals with uh, do not tempt others. Don't tempt them. Uh, and so beginning in 13 through 33, he deals with the statement we've made, do not tempt others or uh, high doctrine for humble duties. First of all, there's an earnest exhortation in verse 13. He says, Let us not therefore judge one another anymore, but judge ye this rather, that no man put a stumbling block in a brother's way or an occasion of falling. Don't do that. Aid him, help him, love him. <coughs> and if you love him, you'll aid him and help him. I should have, I turned it, I had that backwards. But nevertheless, don't uh, put a stumbling block before him. Don't set something before him that you know is going to cause him to stumble and fall. So the earnest exhortation is don't judge. Don't put a stumbling block. Don't put a way or occasion of stumbling before him. Then in verse 14, he makes a very strong assertion. He says, I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean of itself. Save that to him who accounteth anything to be unclean, because to him it is unclean. It's not unclean unto him. He's going to talk about meats. And if you uh, worship the Lord, eating meats offered idols has no bearing on anything. It's okay to do that because meat's for the belly, the belly's for the meat. But if you think it's unclean, then to you it is unclean. Because what guides you? Your conscience. Your conscience being taught by the Word of God. And if you go against your conscience, uh, how, does God, how can God lead you? If a horse goes against the bridle, the bit, that's the only control God has on us is through our conscience. Now, uh, now a barbecued dog or a fried snail <laughs> or however you want to fix food or whether or not you want to eat boiled pig entrails 
Nothing is unclean of itself. Isn't that what we just read? There's nothing unclean about that, is there? If you want to eat boil, uh, fried snails or boiled pig guts or stomachs, nothing is unclean in and of itself. Absolutely nothing. Verse 15, For if because of meat thy brother is grieved, thou walkest no longer in love. Destroy not with thy meat him for whom Christ died. Christ died for this fellow. And boy, you're in jeopardy if you destroy this brother because you don't even love him. You just press right ahead with your practice and you've run him off. You've destroyed him. Christ died for that fellow. Verse 16, Let not then your good be evil spoken of. So the practice that issues from the precept that all things is clean is self-denial. Don't eat the meat. If all things are clean and you're settled down with a weak brother who thinks it's unclean to eat meat, don't ask for meat. Don't order chicken fried steak or something of that order in his presence. Or if you invite the weaker brother over, serve vegetables or herbs. Herbs and vegetables are the same thing, ain't they? They're not. Uh, is there a difference that I need to be aware of? Herbs. What's the difference? Herbs are things that you season with. Yeah, it's a spice. What? You season things with herbs. So take your vegetables and you put salt on them. You are seasoning them. That's an herb. Well, salt is. Salt is herbs? No, salt's not. It's just something like rosemary or thyme. I'm so confused now. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think you've got to worry about it. It's salting it. I apologize for asking that definition. (laughs) If everything is clean... Uh, can you judge uh, can you just eat this uh, will that be alright now we we can't because in his mind he can't eat meats you see uh, that's what he says here except for the fellow whose conscience is offended and then it's unclean it becomes unclean uh, to him so when you have him over for di- uh, for dinner, don't rub his nose in the fact that, that you're the stronger brother. Don't set him off with a plate to himself and you eat the rest of the food. Uh, that would be just as bad as Peter separating himself in the book of Galatians, Paul mentions it, to eat with the, with the circumcision. You remember Paul in the second chapter of Galatians, He confronted Peter over that matter. Peter was wrong. He was an apostle. And he was wrong in his practice. Could a man be an apostle and be wrong? Not in his word, but in his practice, yes. Peter was. God didn't take those men over like robots and run them. They had their free moral agency, but they were guided by the Spirit. All right, so so upon whom is the responsibility of uh, foregoing his rights laid? The stronger brother. If you're the stronger brother, it's laid on you the responsibility of foregoing your right to eat meat. Then in verse 17 and 18, he deals with another precept or another true precept. Attitude. He says, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now there is the precept. The kingdom of God is not eating meats or not uh, <coughs> not eating meals <coughs> or not eating or drinking that or or not uh, He says that's not the important issue in the kingdom. It's just not that important, is it? Whether you eat or whether you don't. 
<laughs> but you do need to understand, don't destroy a brother uh, just because you have a right to eat meat. Because again, meat's for the belly and belly's for the meat, and it doesn't matter whether it was offered to an idol or not. You're not offering it to an idol. You're merely eating meat that's offered to a, has been offered to an idol. You have nothing to do with that, I, it being offered. But you're enjoying the meat. Do you have that right? Yes. But don't offend a brother over it. Forfeit your right. We have too much of that attitude in America that nobody's going to tell me what to do. I have an AR-15. And I'll back it up. You know, that seems to be the general idea. So the important issue in the kingdom is not should women wear a veil. You know, I've seen places where that divided congregations. Or how many cups should we use? And I've seen that problem too. You have what's called the one cuppers and their understanding and their weakness in their immaturity is that the Lord's Supper, Jesus took the cup and gave it to him and said, drink you all of it. Well, they're so legalistic that they see one cup there. They don't see the cup, uh, many cups that are represented by the cup that he offered. They don't see that. And besides, if you read that real close, it doesn't say to drink what's in the cup. It said drink the cup. He offered them the cup and said drink you all of it. So if the cup's made out of glass, it's going to be a little difficult to drink, don't you think? But that's how he, But those things have divided the Lord's church. If somebody wants to believe in one cup, I, that's all right with me. It's all right with the Lord. He'll either bring them out of it or they'll die in stupidity. And it's probably because they just don't have a, a period of, of grasping. I don't condemn them. Uh, or whether or not we're uh, going to have divided Bible classes. Those are not just not the important issues. The important issue is the kingdom uh, is uh, in, the, in the kingdom are righteousness, joy, and peace. Isn't that what he mentioned in that verse? Righteousness, joy, and peace. <laughs> in the Holy Spirit. Verse 18, For he that uh, herein uh, serveth Christ is well-pleasing to God. So what's the uh, practice that I ought to have based on that precept? Here it is. Uh, an urgent necessity in verse 19 and 20. He says, so then let us follow after things which make for peace. There's that word peace. That's what we have in the Lord. Righteousness, peace, and happiness. And wherein we may edify one another. So follow after things which make for peace and things wherein we may edify one another. Verse 20. Overthrow not the... Uh, overthrow not for meat's sake the work of God. Don't destroy his work among people because you've got this concept about means. All things indeed are clean. Howbeit it is evil for that man who eateth with offense. And so he says, look, there's no uh, necessity for you to eat the meat. It's not necessary to eat it. Can you do without it? Certainly. There are two things that are necessary. Number one, you follow after peace. That's what he said. And number two, you do not overthrow that weaker brother. And I've actually, uh, I have actually heard people boast about knocking a person's faith for a loop. They're proud of putting someone down. You don't want to put anybody down. You want to teach them. It's not a battle. It's not a, a contest of you who comes out the winner by whooping somebody. You want to try to teach it. Some people are not teachable, uh, particularly at a particular moment. 
They might be a week later or a month or a year later or 10 years later. But you're very gentle in your teaching. And you, you don't beat them with, the, with the, you know, that sword that we've been given in Hebrews and Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. Out in front of the shield of faith is a sword, which is the Word of God. It's made to strike the heart. It's not made to beat somebody to death with the side of it, you know. Whop, 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 whop. It's a two-edged sword. You don't turn it sideways and beat the, the devil out of this fellow. <laughs> you go for the heart. And he'll accept it if it's for the heart. Boy, that's a dead kill. So you just killed him that he might come alive in Christ. So, uh, you don't boast about knocking a person's faith for a loop. Uh, like, uh, boy, I showed him. I just went ahead and eat that meat right there in front of him. That's what I did. Well, I showed him. You just destroyed a brother for whom Christ died. And you're proud of that. If you have any love, you won't do that. You'll forfeit your right to eat meat while he's around. As you're going out through, out of Benton City, you might stop at the little store up here to get some meat and go on and eating it in the car or whatever. <laughs> but you won't eat it in his presence because you know it offends him. And yet there's nothing wrong with eating meat. just destroyed this brother uh, by proving you was right. You just overthrew for meat's sake the brother. You decided the meat more important than the brother. Can you imagine such a decision? Boy, we'll never make a decision like that, would we? We would never make the, uh, the divided cup uh, more important than peace, would we? We would never make our wives right to go into the assembly unveiled a point of division, would we? But I've seen it happen. The church wouldn't do that, would it? We would never make the decision of whether we're going to care for the orphans in a private home or an institutional home. A point of division uh, dividing the church, would we? We wouldn't if we follow this principle. And then he states a privilege that I've got in verse 21. And our time's up. Verse 21, he says, It is good not to eat flesh, nor to drink wine, nor to do anything whereby thy brother stumbleth. So what's a good thing for me to do? I know what's lawful. Eat meat, uh, whatever I want to do. Uh, but what's a good thing for me to do? Not to do anything that would cause a brother to stumble. The good thing is to pr uh, pursue a course of activity that doesn't cause the weaker brother to stumble. Well, next week we're going to a discussion of how you can tell a weaker brother. Who is a weaker brother? You're going to find out, as I think we've already presented it somewhat. Uh, we're the weaker brother in a lot of cases, aren't we? Now, we may be strong, stronger than this brother at the moment, and he's lifting up his hand to, for us to help him up. We've got our other hand up for the stronger brother that's stronger than we are. So he can lift us up. And guess whose hand that the strongest brother has in? The Lord's hand. As we're all lifting one another up because we love one another. Well, 
have stopped right there. And this is still the 31st. How many of you have went out and got candy? I went and bought it. <laughs> you cheated. Stand while we sing our clothes again, if you like.